0: Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner podcast, a podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe, and I'm Teluka. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. The Thinking Practitioner podcast is supported by ABMP, Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals. ABMP membership gives professional practitioners like you a package including individual liability insurance free continuing education and quick reference apps online scheduling and payments with pocket suite and much more AB&P's ce courses podcast and massage and bodywork magazine always feature expert voices and new perspectives in the profession including whitney Lowe, who's not here with us today myself Toluca, and my guest ruth Warner She's hey, right here hey ruth Thinking Practitioner listeners can save on joining ABNP at abnp.com slash thinking. Ruth, we're here. I'm visiting you. We are parked out in your driveway (laughs) in my camper. Your neighbor is like weed whacking or something over there. So there's like little sounds drifting in, but it's such a good a uh, place to be with you, a good place in time.
1: It's lovely to be here. We would be in the house, but our two dogs have completely fallen in love, and they're just rumpusing and growling and yipping and having a fabulous time, so we thought we would let, give them the rent of the house. You've
0: been an amazing host. We've surrendered the house to the dogs, and now we're out here in the driveway
1: yes, having a <laughs> podcast
0: conversation about... I, I mean, maybe you don't need any introduction at all, but maybe we should say something about Who you are. You uh, have your own podcast. Yes. I have a client who Mm -hmm. uh, it's also uh, co-sponsored and run by ABMP. Yeah, it
1: comes out under the ABMP podcasting umbrella. Yep. Comes out every Friday.
0: You are the author of...
1: A Massage Therapist's Guide to Pathology, now in its seventh edition, published by Books of Discovery, our Boulder friends.
0: Who is our closing sponsor for today, ironically enough. Right on. Yeah. Anything else you want people to know about you? I write you? the
1: pathology column for Massage and Body Work magazine.
0: Which is where I saw this article I want to talk about. Yeah. Anything else?
1: Oh, you know, um, continuing education provider. I have a few classes, online self-paced classes that are available through my website at ruthwerner.com.
0: Okay. We'll put that in the show notes. Great. So I wanted to talk to you about your most recent article in the July-August 2022 edition of Massage and Body Work. You called it Long-Term Lyme Disease, Controversies and Challenges. Mm -hmm. And I was so, I always love reading your stuff because you really do your homework. You really do a great job of weaving together the key things that people need to know for in the manual therapy context in a balanced way, I think, and I always learn something too, and I learned something from your article, even though I considered myself a very s- serious student of this topic, because in my case, I had long-term Lyme disease, and uh, really dove into that as both a personal and professional journey. So it was great to see your take on it, and this, for me, this is 20 years ago, so to get caught up and uh, to have a chance to talk to you about it today here.
1: Yeah, and you and I have been chatting about this a little bit. If I had known ahead of time that you were a person who'd had chronic Lyme, I would have, um, you know, requested your input and help to <laughs> sort of broaden my perspective. But mm-hmm. as it was, I, um, I worked with a, a woman that I know who uh, has been living with this, and she was sort of our focal point or our introduction to what it's like to live with this problem.
0: What, yeah, let's, can we talk about her? You called her Rosie, not Mm -hmm. her real name. What was she dealing with that you, that got you so interested or what story did you want to tell about her?
1: Um, well, Rosie is actually, uh, the daughter of some very dear friends. So I happened to mention that I was working on an article on chronic Lyme to my friend and he said, Oh, my daughter had that here. You, you know, talk to her about that. And she had a very Compelling story that that captured a lot of what ends up being a highly controversial topic. Yeah, she was really on the receiving end of that, which turns out you were.
0: Yeah, as was, well. A lot of that was my story, but what was what made her story controversial? That-
1: well, what happened for her is she, you know, had a tick bite, um, which she didn't realize at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, some number of weeks later, developed. Some very alarming symptoms. Her heart rate was very low. She felt really sick. She couldn't have any energy. Um, she went to her doctor, who found no rash mm. and consequently did not
0: consider Lyme disease, consider
1: Lyme disease or prescribe the typical um, early, you know, early and effective two-week dose of doxycycline. Mm-hmm. Um, she continued to get worse in very, very alarming ways, uh, and. Pursued all kinds of medical avenues, but testing for Lyme disease, as I'm sure we'll get to, is not reliable. Mm -hmm. It doesn't give us really good information about. It 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 will tell whether someone's been exposed to Lyme, but not when. Yeah. And so you know, if you had Lyme, if you had a tick bite and got Borrelia when you were ten and had virtually no symptoms, and now you're thirty, you know, there's no way to tell (laughs) whether that you know what state you're in. That's
0: right. Um, and something yeah. like, this was; the statistic is years old, but something like one person in 20 in endemic areas like Connecticut test positive for Lyme
1: antibodies. Oh, that's fascinating. That yeah. doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Yeah. Because not everybody has, you know, a really obvious or serious interaction with this infection. Right. But, uh, you know, another success story is that if people recognize that they have been bit by a tick, bitten by a tick... Um, Early intervention with antibiotics is, for the vast majority of people, really, really, really effective. And I did read recently, I didn't read the article, just the headline, that that there's a new vaccine in phase three trials.
0: Awesome. So we
1: may have some more options soon.
0: But anyway, so Rosie's story was similar to mine. She didn't catch it right away. She didn't know what it was. And she got all kinds of symptoms.
1: She got very, she had to quit her job. She was, she basically lived on her parents' couch for two years. Yeah. Um, and and pursued diagnoses through the Mayo Clinic and all kinds of fancy places yep. where they, you know, assumed she had an eating disorder. They assumed she had chronic fatigue. Um, no one was willing to say, gosh, looks like Lyme disease. Um, and she ended up finding um, a, a doctor who was willing, without having examined her, which is something that I still get angry about. That doesn't sound so good. Um prescribing very high dose and very long-term antibiotics.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So high dose that her pharmacist didn't want to fill the prescription. Mm -hmm. And so harsh on her that she literally, at one point, sat down to discuss her funeral plans with her mother because she was so disabled Mm -hmm. by this course of antibiotics. Um, But, and that doctor ended up being under investigation and losing his license and, you know, all that. But... That said, something changed for her
0: As a, at, at the same, and we don't, time, yeah, at the same time
1: as she was finishing her treatment. Uh-huh. And so was it causation or was it correlation? You know, hard to say, but nothing else had done any, made any change for her.
0: Her Lyme symptoms got better and after that crazy round of antibiotics, yeah. perhaps. Yeah,
1: And she, um, you know, she's now uh, highly functional. She has, uh, she has a beautiful job. She started her family. Awesome. She's, uh, you know, she's, actually saw her a couple of weeks ago oh, nice. and, um, she's doing very, very well. She has some lingering effects. Uh-huh. Her heart rate has never really returned to normal. She has some digestive issues. Interesting. That could be related either to the antibiotics or For to sure. the Lyme. We don't you the know. We won't that. know. Could be the one. But she's no longer disabled
0: parallel to my story in that I got a pretty clear diagnosis. I didn't have that uh, struggle, which is a big struggle for a lot of people with Lyme, even figuring out what's going on. I knew I got bit by a tick. I knew I got the rash. I knew it was Lyme disease. It did respond initially to antibiotics. And then when I would stop the antibiotics, it would get worse again. So it, so
1: you started your antibiotics when in relation to the tick bite? Three months after the bite. So, three, so that's, you know, you may have missed that Longer earliest than, window of opportunity because right. you were traveling, right? I
0: was traveling. I got it while I was traveling and teaching in Africa, South Africa. I got the tick bite. It got better. I ignored it. The rash that came later, I attributed to traveling in hot countries and the waistband of my pants. And then it was not by the time I got to Switzerland, I realized, okay, this is... Persistent, I need to get this checked out, and that was three months later. Mm -hmm. So, no, I didn't catch it as early as I would have liked to. The antibiotics, I did give a positive Western blot, which showed again, not current or past, but I had Lyme going on as a factor. The antibiotics did make it better for me, but like I said, only while I was taking them and not completely. They reduced the symptoms by maybe 50%. Can
1: you talk about those symptoms?
0: Headaches, body aches, it was like having the flu. It's like the first couple of days of a flu where everything just aches and your skin is painful.
1: Do you have inflamed lymph nodes?
0: Uh, sometimes, yep. Yeah. yeah, not huge, but they were sometimes tender or a little swollen. Do you have fever? No, not a fever.
1: And it just went on and on and on.
0: It would persist and it would cycle throughout the day. There were i mean other symptoms too, like brain fog, like just the cognitive uh, impairment. And uh, emotionality is the other one. Just like, I would be so emotionally sensitive to any sort of friction or irritation or...
1: uh, You talk about emotional friction, emotional irritation? Emotional
0: friction. Emotional, like, between me and my partner or me and my son. I had a baby kid there. Or me and my Mm -hmm. colleagues. Or, you know, my work commitments. Those kinds of things. I would just be devastated by the smallest little disagreements. And that was really hard, too. That's
1: interesting. I mean, that sort of emotional lability. Yeah. Um did not turn up in what I ran across and Rosie didn't report it. I think that was something unique.
0: Maybe unique to me. It was it was very recognizable because it would really come and go with the symptoms. Yeah. Some of that's just a result of being sick, I'm sure, of being in pain. But it was almost like this particular mood I could feel come in.
1: Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Those I'm were I'm Sorry my... that you had to go through that.
0: Well, oh, thank you. It was I mean, it was it was uh it sucked.
1: And so you were doing antibiotics, and you, you know, about how long were you? I mean, I know that was sort of cyclical, right? You sort of did it as needed.
0: Uh, I did it most of three years. Uh huh. Wow. Most of three years.
1: I must have done a number on your gut too.
0: I was, I was scared. Straight by my, I reached out to people, reached out to the Lyme community that was online, got. To know people, talk to them, and heard a lot of horror stories, like Rosie in your article, of people who had been doing this high-dose antibiotic therapy and had uh, candida issues, Mm -hmm. yeast overgrowth, had digestive problems that were worse than the Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I was really super careful with my diet. This is before keto and everything, but I went zero carbs, and I just did everything I could to control for those sorts of things. I was under the care of a pretty good naturopath. Oh, that's good. Around the dietary stuff. Yeah. So I, was, I, I made taking long-term antibiotics my medical project. I was like my own experimental case because it was, it was helping me. It, in, in Rosie's case, we don't know. But in my case, it was pretty clear that if I take the antibiotics, the symptoms got better. If I stop them, the symptoms got worse.
1: And, you know, 20 years ago, yeah. this was fringe, right? Mm-hmm. This was a fringe treatment. Totally. And even for Rosie, who, who went through this more recently, I think for her it was more like 10 years ago. Um, you know, she ended up sort of going under the table, if you like, to a doctor who was all kinds of, uh, of, um, unethical. Yeah. Well, let's, I mean, just
0: for context, it didn't even get a name until the eighties. Right. And this was the end of the nineties, beginning of the two thousands that I had it. Everything was French. Didn't know anything. Right. And, and the CDC was just coming out with guidance. Even after I'd started my treatment, it was coming, it was still emerging at that point. So we didn't know what mainstream was or what fringe was, people were trying things that seemed to be working so, yeah right. okay, I'm gonna, that's the only thing that was out there. But no, you're right, that has emerged as a non-approved treatment to take that much antibiotics for that. Product. And there's a couple
1: of good reasons for that. Yeah. and I'm not saying that your experience didn't happen or that Rosie's experience didn't happen, they yeah. did. Yeah. but you know that needs to be done with the knowledge that large-scale testing of these kinds of treatment protocols doesn't show reliable benefit. And it does show substantial risk of harm.
0: Yeah, and to, if you average it over the populations, we haven't been able to see that long-term antibiotic uh, use improves that average group. of. Symptoms. And
1: you know what we learned, what I learned from this, um, which came up in the article, is that yeah. the most effective treatments for people who are having symptoms of what we'll call long-term Lyme disease is is to treat it by the individual, not by, not not in terms of what large-scale research says, but what seems to work for this person without hurting them.
0: That's Those are the recommendations you mentioned in your article that have emerged, like a combination of things, mm-hmm. of support in different ways that are tailored or customized to the person. The
1: customization is absolutely key. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. which is, a, in my case, was a trial and error process.
1: It, it has to be for everybody, of course. Yeah. yeah, Yeah.
0: I just basically tried everything, and I would try to keep it Focus so that I could see the results from this. Did this really help? Because when you're trying multiple treatments, you don't always know what's especially making if you're you better, trying them all at the same time yeah.
1: because you want to get better. <laughs> because you just
0: do anything and do everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Which I went through one summer um, uh, in in Utah when my cough was first becoming a real problem, and I had a trio of friends who were all practicing in the same office. So I, I went for treatments every week, and I got. Acupuncture and craniosacral work and chiropractic special, you know, special chiropractic and my cough got substantially better. I have no idea which of those was the thing that worked because I just wanted to play. I just wanted to figure, you know, I just wanted to get on top of my cough. Right. Um, but, and that sounds like that's something similar to what you were doing. You were just like throwing the kitchen sink at it.
0: Well, it evolved over those. I had three years was long enough to go to throw everything at it and then back off and let me try this one at a time. Let me Uh consult with it. But I was doing the Mayo Clinic thing. I was traveling around. I was looking up Spear, the guy that discovered the, or designed the treatments.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I had a couple of specialists, including one really, uh, you know, delightful human being was the regional Lyme disease specialist who heard my story in detail, kept my, you know, had me keep a symptom log, Mm -hmm. really took time to understand it. And at the end of the conversation says, it sounds like you know more about this than we do, perhaps. Uh, Let me log you into PubMed here and let you look. I'm going to go see another client in the next room. Take some time, see what you can find here on my computer in my office, and let's talk about it. Was, well,
1: I mean, it's validating for you, but it's it's, like, it's it, it sort of heck? erodes a little bit of faith it in was your the healthcare the provider. Regional
0: expert in Lyme disease, yeah. and he's saying we don't have no idea what to do. Yeah. What can you find that we can talk right. about? Yeah, and
1: you know, I think that's a it's it's kind of nice to hear that kind of humility. Yeah. Right. Um, and and maybe we can talk a little bit about the the controversies and the conflicts that are happening in the medical in the medical community around.
0: Let's talk about around
1: it around that. Yeah, because. You know, it's it's not that doctors don't want to help. Uh-huh. It's that they want to help in a way that is likely to get good results. Yeah. And chronic Lyme is really hard to demonstrate. Yeah. Because we don't know. And it looks like a lot of different things. And a Lyme yes. disease test doesn't actually yield very useful information. And once let's say we establish it, then what? We don't have great treatment options that are going to be reliable, and it's much harder to customize treatments than it is to say, oh, you have an ear infection, here's your Cipro, whatever.
0: It's also really, it's hard to pin down. It appears in many different ways for different people. It mimics or looks like other kinds of conditions. And if it isn't obvious yet to the readers, we should mention this is a lot like long COVID situations or post-viral syndromes or a lot of these things that are being spoken about. You mentioned that in your article Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm that these same sorts of
1: there's post yeah so this would be a post bacterial syndrome so but i mean you know post infection so we have we have a slew of these we have chronic fatigue syndrome which in some cases at least is a post infectious thing we have long covid long Lyme, um post sepsis syndrome and they all have a lot in common in terms of fatigue and malaise and brain fog and resistance to treatment yep yeah. um and so, uh,
0: multi-causal, multi-symptomatic. Yeah, multifactorial. Yeah.
1: And a lot of times, the people who are living with these conditions—and in fact, I have a friend right now who has both chronic Lyme and long COVID. Wow. It's cool. awesome. Um, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, it, it, so these people often feel more or less abandoned by the medical community. Yeah. Um, taken advantage of, or dismissed. gaslighted, or dismissed, or un, you know, not believed. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of times, those are the people who come to us, and we might be a first resort. Often, we are a last resort. Yeah, uh, and it requires some sensitivity and maybe some suspension of judgment. Yes, when we have people who are living with these chronic diseases or chronic challenges. Yes, um, especially if their treatment options are things that we you know are not great not yeah. crazy about. Yeah. It's not our call.
0: Right. Here's an interesting phenomenon, and, and your, your article makes this point. There's so much we can do just by really listening, believing people's story, and working with what they present us. In my case, ironically enough, I saw dozens if not over a hundred different practitioners during mm. those three years. I could pretty clearly map them out on a curve of their openness to my experience. Right. And it was inverse, an inverse proportion to their conventionality in the medical system, meaning the most conventional uh, doctors were the most open-minded.
1: Oh, that's nice to hear.
0: To And the most alternative were the most certain and clear that everything else I was doing was harming me and a waste of my time and I shouldn't be doing it, which was not a helpful message, especially yeah. as presented by some of them in particular cases. It just, I mean, the scoffing, turning their head like, "Oh my God!" Slapping their forehead when they heard other treatments I was making. When I, when I was in a desperate so place, so
1: disrespectful.
0: Well, it's, it's unconscious about the impact of that. As we huh. learn more about the you know placebo, nocebo relationships, and the power of the context, they were demonstrating that they they didn't approve of my other treatment choices, and trying, and probably with the best of intentions, trying to steer me toward what they thought would help but their style but also their certainty and closed mm. attitude toward other stuff ended up not being helpful for me.
1: Uh, that makes me so sad yeah. to hear. Yeah. And and also, you know, sur- uh, happily surprised that conventional healthcare providers, I don't know why I'm surprised about that, but that that more uh, you know, conventional in terms of being medically mainstream. Yes. were more open-minded. And you know, largely because you know, we got nothing. We nothing. <laughs> they,
0: well, in this, so I mentioned the doctor, the specialist who turned his computer around and let me just dig into whatever he could find. Yeah. The other guy was an infectious disease specialist, the lead guy in Denver. Mm-hmm. Finally got an appointment after waiting two months. Similar, heard my story and basically said, we got nothing. But how is this for you emotionally? He was the, f- nice. yeah, he was the first guy to wow. ask that.
1: Wow, and good nearly, for him! I
0: nearly start crying talking yeah, about him now because it, yeah. that was yeah. the impact at the time. Yeah. Of course, he all he could do is listen and says, "Would you like me to write you a script for some antidepressants?" Right, <laughs> which I didn't need, but can be helpful in those kind of situations too.
1: Absolutely. Oh, they, yeah. yeah, totally can because you know when depression gets layered on top of chronic things, the chronic things become harder to treat. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I'm glad that he did that. Yeah. I'm really glad, and I'm and I'm not. Suggesting that massage therapists should ask, how has this affected you emotionally? (laughs) Right? It's sort of not our, uh, it's not a can of worms that we're qualified to open.
0: Yeah. Opening the can is one thing. Listening to what comes out is another. Yes. So that that, it really is helpful to be heard and listened to. And to understand, too, that what we offer, it touches opening a can.
1: That's true. But that's... A little different
0: than asking. from
1: probing, yeah, right? Yeah, right. So I want to talk a little bit about your experiences with massage yeah. while you were going through all this. Well,
0: off mic, I told you about going to uh, a practitioner that I'd seen before I got Lyme and mentioning, like I say I got Lyme disease. It's been a real bummer. I can't seem to kick it. And my back really hurts. Can I get some work? And he was... He was taken back a little bit. He says, oh, you Lyme disease. What do you want me to do about right. that? He thought I was coming to him to ask him to fix my Lyme, essentially. And Flush it out. Flush it out or whatever. <laughs> and uh, I, I had to educate him a little bit. He says, no, it's my back that hurts. You were really good with my back. Can you help my back? And he goes, oh, okay, I'll yeah, us try that. Right. But he had to do about three disclaimers, too. It's like, I don't know if this is going to help your Lyme or not. It's like, yeah, of course. Just help my back, please.
1: Right. Right. But that's, um, he was able with your help yeah. to identify what your goals were. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think, I think you disclosing that you had Lyme was, was a useful thing for him to know because mm-hmm. it adds context to his understanding of you and your experience. Right. Right. But your Lyme was not the reason you showed up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. You showed up because you had pain.
0: That's right.
1: Um, and as a, as a teacher of pathology, or you know, someone who who wants massage therapists to be feel confident about understanding the impact of various diseases or conditions, for their clients who are coming because they have back pain or because mm-hmm. they have fatigue or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what the the responsibility of your practitioner was to know enough about Lyme disease to not hurt you, right? To not do something that's going to make something worse.
0: Which in this case, it wasn't the case for me, but the things to be careful of would be. Uh, Pressure, pacing, duration, the kind of things that you can overwork someone with either an acute injury or an inflammatory condition.
1: Yeah, I remember a lot of times with Lyme, because they thought it was a, a form of arthritis. They yeah. thought it was a form of rheumatoid arthritis for a while. Yeah. So a lot of people with late stage Lyme have really painful inflammation of the large joints.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and that, you know, that's something you don't want to make worse.
0: Right and there are stories of people be, Lyme being flared up by too aggressive of manual therapy certainly when it crosses over with fibromyalgia type tender points and things like that which it often does and did mm-hmm. some for me you want to be careful with that but that's i mean those that's probably you listed that as the main danger of massage therapy along with being dismissive of our client's experience which i also experienced
1: yeah that frustrates me it's you know and that's something that i that i really found with rosie as well as so many of her of of the people that she looked to for help told her that she was wrong about her problem that she didn't understand it that you know that she had an eating disorder that she had chronic fatigue um and they were very dismissive Yeah. And that's, you know, that's what led her to seek out this weird doctor who almost killed her. But also probably, I mean, I'll go out on a limb and say, yeah, it's correlation. I'm open minded to it also being causation that this course of antibiotics did something for her that eventually helped her turn the corner. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that she didn't die because of
0: it. Yeah, me too. And I'm glad that I didn't end up with uh, worse complications from three years of antibiotics. Yeah, but there's people that people are desperate in that case. I knew people that were giving themselves malaria uh-huh. because that the fever that was thought was would, would cook out the spirochete Right. Or they would do bee stings on their painful joints.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They put a little basket api- of bees. Api- therapy. Yeah, yeah. To try to make their sore joints better. Mm-hmm. So people are desperate for things that will help them, and they're willing to sacrifice, you know, part of their health to improve the rest of it. And that's a tricky spot to be in
1: it is a tricky spot to be in and as massage therapist, if we have a client who who we're worried about right that yeah. that would be, you know we have a legitimate concern that they are making choices about their health care that are not in their best interest it's a very tricky line because it's not appropriate to say i think that's a really bad idea yeah it is appropriate maybe to say if you would like to pursue another option Here's a trusted name. Nice. You know, nice. That's but that's really all that we can do. Yes. Um, it's just we we are. It was it would be the worst breach of codes of ethics and scope of practice and standard of care to say I don't. You know, I think your doctor's not trustworthy.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Which is what I the message I was getting, again, yeah, mostly from my alternative practitioners yeah. about the wow. conventional treatments.
1: And you know, twenty years ago. Yeah. Is not that long ago. No. Right? We, right? we know as a profession we had woken up enough to understand a little more about appropriate scope of practice and that. Um, <clears throat> and,
0: and the value of being interested in someone's experience and right. validating patient choices and those kinds of things. Just the healing nature of that and the way the Therapeutic Alliance is built on that mm-hmm. and not on making the correct, necess- only making the correct medical choice. In a way.
1: So let's talk a little bit about validating the patient experience. Yeah. Um, you know, when I asked myself this question for, the, for, for writing this article, what is, what is the best role for the massage therapist here? Uh-huh. Again, we're not going to fix Lyme. Um, what we might be able to do is provide some relief, probably temporary, a certain, almost certainly temporary relief from many of the challenges that people with chronic Lyme disease live with.
0: Which um, ain't nothing.
1: Which ain't nothing, right? It's important. The question is. Um, let me reframe this. The, the The point is to treat the person, not the disease. Yeah. Right. And so you know your therapist who said, "Well, Lyme disease. What am I supposed to do with Lyme disease?" Um, it took some coaching from you to say, no, 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 I don't need you to treat the Lyme disease. I need you to help me with my back. Mm-hmm. And my experience in teaching pathology, because that's the filter that I come through, is that if if a massage therapist knows their client is living or dealing with some condition, that becomes the whole point and focus of their massage. And it's often not right what the client is looking for. <laughs> right. That's right. Right?
0: Exactly. And we can really dial it down to those things that are disturbing the client and Use those as the entry points to see what we can do that actually is appropriate and helpful for those things. Right. There's a lot we can do there.
1: Right. With, you know, understanding enough about the disease or the condition to not hurt them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Where I mean, let's talk about the ending of your article where I was uh, a- acknowledging your difficulty as a writer to talk about the <laughs> problems and the things we should be aware of and not get lost in the morass of what to do about it because there's so many different treatment approaches and how that, that is the morass where I live. I teach people techniques and things to do, but you walk that line where you're, you're trying to help us be aware of it, but stopping short of saying, here's what you should do for good reasons.
1: Yeah. I am not a technique teacher. I will never be one. Um, and I know, that there's such a broad way you know, the the, the term massage is an enormous umbrella. Yeah. yeah. That encompasses anything from structural integration to cranial sacral to manual lymphatic drainage. Oh, right?
0: right, right. Which so yes.
1: For me to say this is indicated or this is contraindicated is ridiculous. All I can point out is here are some really good things that can happen if you're skilled and Sensitive and compassionate. And here's and, some things
0: to keep in mind. And, and here yeah. are some
1: bad things that can happen if you're not skilled or paying attention or compassionate. Lovely. And from there, you know, you, you, it's up to you to minimize those risks and maximize those benefits. Yes. And, you know, go ahead. Till will teach you some ways that you might be able to do that. So. Uh, well, yeah. I, I <laughs> not necessarily know why in the context do... of Lyme, but.
0: No, I will if you want. But it's, I can see why you don't do that in your articles. Uh, you... It's also the trap that I fall into too is the it depends. In the end it depends. <laughs> it always depends. And it always depends. It always does and the more we get into it the more we realize the variables have to be addressed and we can't just say do this. And yet I wanted you to say a little more do this at the end of your article because you're <laughs> talking about yeah I know we uh we talked about it but you 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 finish beautifully you say uh your fourth step in your critical thinking protocol, consider possible strategies and alternatives. In this step, we need to survey our own experience and history with similar situations. This is also a time to see what other healthcare providers suggest for patients with similar goals. This, of course, is what where research literacy becomes important. And you're saving us a step. You say you go on PubMed and sure enough, there's nothing there with chronic Lyme disease and massage or PTLDS and massage. And Google Scholar has very limited information. Lots of material about Lyme disease, but little or nothing about issues with, in the context of massage therapy. And then you go on to the next point, unfortunately, because that's where I want to say, even still, even though that there's not much known about massage and uh, Lyme disease, there's a lot we know about massage and backaches. There's a lot we know about massage and headaches. There's a lot we know about massage and anxiety or depression or
1: discouragement right and you and 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 where I got caught there and you 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 have caught me um is conflating is doing exactly what I was discouraging people from doing a minute ago right is saying well you have Lyme disease therefore Lyme disease is all I need to learn about in order to help you and, know, in order and, or, to help you
0: you were saying this but worse since there's not much known about it there's not much I can do
1: oh okay yeah and I didn't go in that direction. But it could set
0: someone up to have a takeaway.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, And so I will be more conscientious about that in the future (laughs) because, as we said, we're not there to treat Lyme disease. We're there to work with the person and what they want to accomplish today, whether it's Help, please help me with my back pain or whether it's please help me with my fatigue or I yeah. just don't want to feel like a fragile flower. Or Give me an hour where I can feel
0: good. Something that feels okay in my body, please, yeah. for a change. It's, I mean...
1: Yeah. And that is, that's a lot more than nothing. That's, that's really, really powerful and impactful.
0: I would count down the hours and minutes to my appointments.
1: Oh, nice. Even
0: making an appointment was a huge feat. If I could do one thing a day and it was make an appointment, sometimes that was all I could accomplish in mm-hmm. a day. Mm-hmm. And then it was counting down the time until that appointment, until that blessed hour or whatever would start. Yeah. So there were just precious oasis in this desert of, of discomfort and pain
1: that's beautiful to hear i'm glad i'm so glad that you had that experience um <laughs> yeah and i think we always need to remember that that pain relief fatigue relief it 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 might be the thing between the the difference between someone feeling like they can live with this condition and someone not feeling like they can live with this condition there's
0: there's a place i can go where i don't feel as bad and yeah. that meant a lot yeah meant a whole lot that got me through it really there was i mean body work was a major resource for me in that Mm -hmm. time and i couldn't get enough of it and the the amount that i got really really helped it didn't fix the lime i don't think in a direct way but it 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 was one of the most important things i did
1: so just for the sake of our listeners who i'm sure are wondering are you okay yeah. Uh, <laughs> can you talk a little bit about sort yeah. of the, the, the your transition from feeling sick to feeling not sick?
0: Well, yeah, I'm good. I'm actually really good. Uh, there was three years of being really bad and nothing I would do would get rid of it. The antibiotics would keep it controlled but not get rid of it. I stopped working for quite a period of time. I consulted lots of specialists, did everything I could. And then at some point uh, it was escalating even with the antibiotics. And I was facing uh, the next treatment option that was given to me was a central line with IV antibiotics that I'd oh, go in for daily just to try to keep it controlled.
1: Yeah. And this and was with probably not a mainstream This was with mainstream oh, really? practitioners.
0: This is before wow. the CDC really started calling this quackery. This was like regular doctors who were yeah. saying, we're seeing results with this. Let's just, it's all we got. Let's try it. And you're you're a case for that because you're intractable. So uh, You
1: are intractable.
0: <laughs> anyway, it was the doctor, one of the doctors, is, who said, he said, how you doing with the antibiotics? Said, actually, I'm feeling worse even with the antibiotics. Is okay, let's try this. Before we do this next step, let's try zero antibiotics. Huh. And if you don't feel worse, why do we keep giving you antibiotics? If you feel bad either way, why add the right. antibiotics out of the mix? And so I stopped the antibiotics, did not feel worse. In fact, after a month or two started to get gradually better, and then my symptoms continued to improve, so that now, today, I have zero symptoms, zero symptoms, I'm all better. Yay for that doctor. Yeah. So in hindsight, who knows how much the antibiotics were part of that malaise. Mm -hmm. They were very clearly keeping the symptoms controlled at some point in the process, and then my theory now is perhaps the reservoirs were all depleted, if there were reservoirs of the organisms... And I was having an immunological reaction to the, either the antibiotics themselves or probably to the former damage the organism had done to my immune system. Right. And that, over time, that got to settle out and uh, I got better.
1: And that sounds essentially like what happened for Rosie, our, yeah. you know the, the person I interviewed for the article. Mm-hmm. You know, she weaned off the antibiotics and slowly found herself again.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I didn't do. It, I, I didn't do any more antibiotics, but I did do all the other health practices mm-hmm. that I had to do to survive. Mm-hmm. I got really serious about my sleep, about my exercise, about my emotional well-being, about my diet. All those things got ratcheted up to the next level, and I think are certainly part of supporting me, but are the, the gifts as well as the attitudes about... Uh, wellness, what that means, about being sick really well as a possible outcome.
1: I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Can you say a little bit more about being sick really well? There was
0: the point when I couldn't do anything at all to feel better. Nothing I could take, nothing I could do, conventional alternative, whatever helped at all. And I realized my only, since I couldn't be well, my only option was to be sick really well. And what does ta- that mean? That means take it really seriously, to really yeah. acknowledge to myself that I can't live like a well person I had to stop working. I had to uh, put the needs of my body and my health first. If it meant stopping a conversation and going lying down for a nap because I couldn't sleep in a, at night, so if I had to sleep in the day, then I had to take advantage of that moment. Uh, you know, a hundred ways putting that into practice, just like to say, t- take the disease seriously and respond
1: to its demands. And that, um, yeah, that's a that's a tricky thing. To, to take the to take your challenge seriously without without deciding, okay, well this is who I am now.
0: Yeah, I had to undecide you know I mean? that's I had to give up who I was before. Yeah. Because of what I was doing, I'm I'm a powerhouse guy. I got this work I do that helps people. I can keep doing it. Even if I'm sick, I can just be present in my illness and, you know, I worked <laughs> with that for a while. Yeah, right. But in the end I had to say, No, I'm not that guy anymore. I can't, uh, res- I can't say no to this chance to sleep and be okay,
1: mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm.
0: But you're talking about going the other way and deciding that I was a sick person. Right. And that I couldn't find a way to be okay without that identity as well.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, that's a phenomenon that's very understandable. It's superhuman. It's, yeah. I mean, it's very human. Right. It's not superhuman. It's very, very human for people, who, especially people who are living with chronic illness and chronic pain. To just have their identity become entangled with that experience to the to the point where it becomes really really hard to give that up.
0: We can we can sense that or imagine that in our clients who just need to tell us their story in mm-hmm. exquisite detail and who aren't you know particularly open to other ideas. Or we can start to imagine that there's an identity or a story. It feels there. like they're
1: married to it.
0: Yeah, it becomes who we are in the new sense. Yeah. But it's, it, it all probably involves being fluid in that attachment we have. Because I had to let go of my previous well person identity. Right. And then when I did start to get better, I really had to realize, wow, I don't have to go back to that. There's a bunch of stuff that I got relieved of in life that I don't want to take on again. Of pushing myself that hard, for example. Or nice. Doing, yeah, or doing things I didn't want, really want to do.
1: Right.
0: I, mean, I didn't need the, you know, I'm too sick to go to school card. Not to have to do those things anymore, right?
1: right. You don't have to, yeah. You don't have to play the sit card to say yeah. yeah. No, I don't want to do that. That's right. <laughs> Good for you. Exactly. Wow, what a painful, long but uh, fruitful learning experience.
0: It it turned out that way. Yeah. But thank you for listening, and anyone, thank you for your article. I just got to say, I just I probably gushed even more before we started the recording just about how you really did hit the important things people need to know. You captured the essence of what I've told in my story and made people aware of that, as well as updating me and the rest of us on the landscape of the medical legal situation there and the ways people are being missed by the medical system and helped and how the the care we need to have around that.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And I really also really appreciate your, your catching me on that don't let the lack of published evidence stop you from doing your work. Yeah. Thing. You know, when we yeah. talk about evidence-informed practice, sometimes there's not a lot of research. In which case, we fall back on our experience and the client, the client's values and what they want to accomplish that we can help them with that is safe. Um, so I, I really appreciate that, yeah. and I will be much more mindful of that.
0: No, I appreciate that. We talk about treating the person, not the not the, diag- disease, not the disease, not the diagnosis, not, not the, the test, diag- right. And that's, that has so many implications. It means l- looking for ways that we can help with that person right now sitting mm-hmm. in our practice room. Yeah. And there's usually so many ways.
1: Yeah, isn't that great?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Tim. All right, our closing sponsor is Books of Discovery, who has been a part of the massage therapy education world for over 20 years. Thousands of schools around the world teach with their textbooks, including one of yours. Yes. Yes, Ruth. E-textbooks and digital resources. In these trying times, this beloved publisher is dedicated to helping educators with online-friendly digital resources that make instruction easier and more effective in the classroom or virtually. Books of Discovery likes to say, learning adventures start here. (laughs) They see that same spirit here on the Thinking Practitioner podcast, and they're proud to support our work, knowing we share the mission to bring the massage bodywork community enlivening content that advances our profession. Check out their collection of e textbooks and digital learning resources for pathology, kinesiology, anatomy, and physiology at booksofdiscovery.com, where thinking practitioner listeners save 15% by entering Thinking at Checkout. Thanks to all of our sponsors. Stop by our site for show notes, transcripts, and extras. Whitney's site, Whitney will be back with us in a future episode. Whitney's site is academyofclinicalmassage.com. My site, advanced-trainings.com. We'll put the uh, links to Ruth's really great article, her book, her podcast, everything else she wants. Her home study courses there as well. If there are questions or things you want to hear us talk about, email us at info at Look for us on social media just under our names, Whitney. Lo, Till, Luca. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find the show. And you can hear us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you listen. And please do share the word and tell a friend. Ruth, thank you for this friendly conversation. Thank you for the visit. And thank you for this time.
1: Thank you, Till. It's been a joy.